Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up to the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What, what? First of his Ooh. name. What, what? <laughs> and uh, look, they call me Ben. Uh, Noel, you and I are, I would say we're big, big fans of theater and theatricality. Yeah, yeah. yeah we ben, do. Do you, say, yeah. do you say thespian or thespian? You know, it depends on how I feel about the person I'm describing. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. If I like okay. them, okay. then I really chew the scenery on that one, you know. <laughs> and, so, make, uh, so so they're they're thespian if you like them. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, apologies to sure. uh, my, sure. my college actor friends if you just learned something about my opinion. But uh, but today, no, we're so excited. This is a long one in the making, man. You and I are diving into a story concerning one of, if not the, most highly regarded English playwrights of all time. That's right, old Willie Shakes himself. Uh, that's his street name. You might know him as Shakespeare mm -hmm. or Billiam. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, but uh, we're not doing it alone, dude. We're joined with, we can say this, I checked off air, man, with an award-winning actor, director, and playwright, a friend of the show, and uh, the creator of his own show, Storytime, it's Mr. Will McFadden. It is uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. William, from one William to another. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Also, just a heads up, we had to change the name to Hashtag Storytime because Seth Rogen showed up and just, you know, elbowed us right out of there. So I, I got it. You know, I, I, oh. I mainly like Seth Rogen. I like his... Uh, his openness about being high all the time, but mm -hmm. I was a little peeved about him, uh, you know, throwing his weight around. Yeah, man, read uh, the room, you know, just yeah, like know. see if there's another one out there before you just you just gobble up that name. And then he didn't even like he didn't even keep the show going. I think he did like it was like a covid show and then right. like sort of things opened back up again. And now he's like off, you know, making movies. again. I'm trying to cultivate beef between me and Seth Rogen just okay. as a marketing stunt. 
I got your back. Yeah, because when I saw hashtag story time, I just thought, wow, these guys are way better at marketing than I, I like they put the thought into it. And uh, full disclosure, I've been on story time in the past, uh, where I was given the opportunity to apologize to the good people of Germany and uh, to sing the praises of 50 Cent in Guatemala. And uh, Noel, you've been on story time as well, right? I have, I have. Uh, my episode was a couple of weeks ago, and it was a story involving my hometown of Augusta, Georgia, and one of its native sons, Mr. James Brown. No relation, but um, I had a, had a cool brush with with greatness uh, when I was younger, working in a music store. And, uh, Will, you were kind enough to let both me and uh, Ben and some of our other favorite colleagues, Lauren Vogelbaum, yeah. um, Annie Reese has been on the show. Who am I missing? Uh, Mike Johns. Literary maverick extraordinaire of Atlanta, GA, co-founder of the Right Club uh, literary event, which Ben has also participated in. No chumps in the squad, as Ben would say. So really, thank you for uh, for giving us a voice. Uh, I've, I've been telling this story for years and, and never thought that I would have a chance to kind of do like a definitive version of it, which I am. That's what I'm calling the episode oh. that, that, I, that I was on. It was, it was, it was an honor story. having both of you on. And both of your stories are so entertaining and delightful. And the people of Germany did not accept your apology, Ben. Unfortunately. I know, they, I know, they, yeah. I know. They Called it, yeah. They Those called Germans. it severely but, adequate, which is not the same thing as forgiveness. But we are, we have asked you on Ridiculous History today, Will, because we vibe with each other, as you, as you can tell, Ridiculous Historians. We wanted to hang out and we started talking with you, Will, and saying like, well, what are, what are some things that you are interested in uh, historically? What are some obscure things? What are some things that might be maybe not known to people who are not somehow in the world of these stories. And you wasted no time, no hesitancy. I loved it. You came right to us and you said, you guys ever talk about Macbeth? <laughs> Have that locked and loaded. Was waiting for somebody to ask me. For yeah, anybody years. talk about the curse of Macbeth? The Scottish play? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, I'll do it. And uh, this is, this is uh, fascinating to us. Maybe one of the ways that we, we get into this just for anyone who doesn't know, like the rough, high-level plot, the elevator pitch of Macbeth, mm. had, had Billy Shakes have to give one, what would Macbeth be described as? Can I say that really quickly? Because I've been saving this, and I, I have to do it. There's a, oh, I got you, um, yeah. Will, are, are you familiar with the show Little Britain? I mean, yeah, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I've seen, I've seen a few episodes. It's good. It's like a, it's a very huge in England. You know, they, they tried to do an American version of it here. Yeah, There's yeah. just a sketch on it that I absolutely love. There's this character named Dennis Waterman, who I think is based on a real, you know, some sort of like niche British person that we would never really be familiar with. But the joke mm -hmm. is that he's very small and he's always going to his agent's office trying to get jobs and turning down every job because he insists on being able to write the theme tune, sing the theme <laughs> tune, and I star remember. in the show. And he gets asked if he, he wants to be in, uh, in Macbeth, and he goes, he wants to write the theme tune. So this is the song that he comes up with. He goes, Mr. Macbeth is a naughty man. A do, 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 do. Gone and killed another man. A do, 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 do. I have a good idea. Just thou keeps me near. I'll be so good for the Scottish play. That's it. And that's the format of every theme tune he writes. And that's it. But that, I think, was a really lovely <laughs> description. Yeah, Mr. Macbeth is a naughty man. Right. He killed another man. And then stuff happens. Exactly. That's all you really need to know. The broad strokes. 
Yeah, there we there go. Are some That's... strokes. But what, 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 what's 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 next? Let's g- <laughs> give us the rundown. Who's the other man that he kills, and what are the things that hath happened? Yes. Well, you know, Macbeth's all about ambition, and it's also about destiny. Macbeth essentially wins a huge battle at the beginning of the play, and then he encounters three weird sisters, some witches, mm-hmm. and uh, they greet him and say that he has all these new titles. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And then uh, they say he's one day going to be king. And he's like, oh, okay, interesting. I'm going to, you know, put that in my back pocket, hold on to it. He basically tells his wife this. She gets just bloodthirsty with this idea. She loves it. She's like, great, we're going to kill the king when he comes to the house tonight. It's going to be awesome. Macbeth is kind of like, I don't know, that's maybe not the best idea. He's like, you know, there's rules when you have a guest over. You're not supposed to murder them. Maybe we shouldn't do this. She's like, screw your curse to the sticking place, boyo. <laughs> and they decide to go forth forward with it. And he he murders the king and becomes the king. And uh, there's there's more scenes with the witches um, proclaim or, you know, prophesizing as to his downfall. But he thinks he's invincible. Um, and right. the only way that he can be killed is by a man who is not of woman born. Mm-hmm. Enter Macduff, who was <laughs> from his mother's womb untimely untimely ripped. It was born of a cesarean section. That reminds me of the whole, like, the twist in Lord of the Rings, where it's like no no man can kill whatever, like the ring the leader of the ring wraiths, and then you know, he gets killed and she takes off the helmet and she goes, I am I no, no man. man. It's, it's it's a woman. <laughs> Yeah, um, but get it? Yeah, get it? It's kind of the same kind of. Yeah. It's the same kind of twist, though. I, and think, I think that sure. that Tolkien probably stole, uh, it from stole that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Appropriated, so, you know, loosely adapted. Sorry, sorry. My girlfriend hates that when I say like that. She shows me a band. I'm like, that is such a rip off of this other thing. <laughs> I just need to soften my language. I'm like, what a lovely homage to this other record, a, a, an unknowing tribute, bad. right? Uh, yes, did, you, exactly. did you guys uh, hear? I, I made up a new word. It's plagiarism. I'm kidding. I didn't even write that joke. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> thanks, Will. Tip your weight, staff. Uh, uh, thanks, Max. I'll be here no all refunds. Week. Yeah. Uh, so it's a free so podcast this, for the record, though. So yeah. So we had a um, we had an interesting conversation about this offline. This is a canonical play. It's a huge deal. A lot of people have maybe uh, acted in excerpts of this this play or done an entire production. Years back in a different life, I was cast in Macbeth. I I didn't get to play Macbeth. I wasn't a big, big deal. But it wasn't until I was able to be in that production that I personally learned of the subject of today's episode, which is this, the Scottish play, reputably, is cursed. That's why you're supposed to call it the Scottish play. Exactly. And not, you know, the name of the thing. Or the Scottish business, I've also heard. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The Scottish business. Lots of variants. But that is specifically, we're okay now. Because I don't believe any of us are actually physically sitting in a theater. I mean, we are participating in a theater of the mind. mind. But that's different. Um, Physical, the the hallowed grounds, the boards that Mm -hmm. that, 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 uh, have have been tread. Uh, The theater. That is specifically what this refers to, is saying that name inside the theater. And we're going to get to some amazing examples of this curse kind of coming to fruition. Um, Whether or not you believe in curses or not, it's hard to deny that there's some spooky coincidences. But what is the history of the curse? Why is Macbeth cursed? The play itself. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. 
Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember. It was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody. Like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
for those of you who may not be thespians or thespians, you may not even be aware that there is this superstition and, and this taboo of saying that word inside of a theater. But if you are around anybody with a BFA, they will instantly jump down your throat if you say that during because it, it's it's purportedly to bring very bad luck even if you're not performing that play if you're just inside a theater if you say Macbeth it's horrible luck and then there's a bunch of crazy rituals to kind of cleanse yourself if you do happen Spitting to say it or like yeah like walking witter shins or whatever what, like what something like that a couple yeah of things. The, the, the theater company that I was a part of you had to go outside spin in a circle spit and yell a curse word and then knock and ask permission to be let back in the theater. Bunch of hullabaloo. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Bureaucracy's everywhere, you know, <laughs> but, the, but there's, there's a process and, and you're absolutely right. I think everybody, even people in, in the theatrical community who consider themselves quite skeptical will still participate in this and treat it as though it is a taboo because it's kind of like, you know, at some point it's a cost benefit thing. If it's not real, and then it doesn't matter what you do. But if it's if it is real, it's not very difficult to just not say the M word, right? Right, right. From what I understand, this is a very, very old thing. This didn't just happen during like the satanic panic in the US of the 1990s. How old is the belief in this? Curse. I don't know why I to almost say coice. We're not the three students. It's a coice. It's a coice. Coices. Uh, it, it foiled again. It apparently goes back to the first, the very first production. And it's carried throughout the centuries. Productions of the play have been plagued with bad luck, deaths, sicknesses, and just all sorts of crazy things happening, which makes you beg, you know, begs the question of is there an actual curse or are actors just clumsy and uncoordinated <laughs> it's you know up for debate but the very first production of the play it was rumored that shakespeare used real not only incantations from from witches but also ingredients commonly used in their cauldrons i have newt I perhaps have newt, was, yeah. that was one yeah. yeah thumb of a sailor i think was another one how come that one didn't make the hit list? You know what I mean? We, we say I have nude all the time. No one remembers Thumb of the Sailor. I, yeah, it's a good one. They're harder to come by, I think. It's true. It's harder yeah, to find. Finding it Claw of Raven, one is just like a, oh, it's pain. Yeah, Blood yeah, of a Bat, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so yeah. What, what was, what was you know, what was believed was that because he used this real these real incantations and real ingredients that the witches of the time were pissed off at his cultural appropriation and they placed a curse on the production that's the <laughs> that's the the going story and then that very first performance actually was cursed and the the actor who was playing the young male, male actor playing lady macbeth came down with a fever and died Oh. Days before opening, and apparently Shakespeare himself was rumored to have to have gone on in his stead. Which was common, right? It was, yeah, men playing yeah. women's roles. Right. right, that was the, that was the usual, that was the norm. It was the, it was the norm in... Also, Shakespeare, probably if we're being honest, was the person who had the next best grasp of the lines. So at that point, it's just like a production decision. 
you know. Totally. Uh, and and we know there's something else that will I think uh, inform the context here, which is the reign of King James the First, and King James the First, massive theater guy, massive theater buff, loved patronizing the theater and being a patron thereof. So he was like Shakespeare's number one most important audience member. Which is also why the King James version of the Bible sounds like Shakespeare, right? Kind of. Was this the same? This is the King James that did the Bible printings, right? I believe so. I'm telling you, I mean, that the way the King James version of the Bible is translated, it reads like Shakespearean prose in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I'm not saying it was directly, but it had to have been like the style of the time. And it was probably largely because of his, uh, his fondness for the, for the bard. Well, Shakespeare had been around. He was 46 years old in 1610 when people were finalizing the translations. So it, it can, can you imagine uh, just knowing that the King is coming to see your, your play? Like while you're writing it and being like, pretty sure, pretty sure the king's gonna come. So gotta make sure he's into this thing. So what's the king into? Demonology. I guess let's throw some witches in here. Maybe he'd be into that. It was like really he's playing to his audience. You know, he's like writing this play just to please the king. Like, you know, I don't know. If, imagine if I don't know Joe Biden was listening to every episode of Ridiculous History. Like, just oh, these have scranton somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we have to- l- 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 lest lest you be screaming at your podcast implement too loudly, I, I I think my timing is a little off, but it is something that people have observed that the the King James Bible and Shakespeare have a similar tone, but the, the timing to your point, Ben, isn't quite right. But clearly what Shakespeare did, he didn't do in a vacuum. I mean, he didn't completely invent this this type of speaking, this type of prose. It was it was out there. He was just really good at it and got really famous for it. Well, yeah, I think it's the timeline is in support of that supposition because if Shakespeare is 46 in 1610, then that means he's actively been writing, producing, and staging plays so people are going to be aware of his language. So that's why I could see it definitely informing it because the people doing the translation for the king are just like Shakespeare in a way. They're saying, yeah. okay, we've got one very important reader. we got a VIP reader and we know what he likes. So let's just, nobody lie. Just kind of embellish, okay? Just kind of read the room. (laughs) And to jump in here real quick, I mean, what is it, 1606? The King James Bible was written in 1611. So, I mean, we're talking five years difference right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, there's definitely some some alignment, but I I don't want to go out on a limb and say that it was definitely like one-to-one. But again, I think that that type of speech, that type of writing uh, of, of, of theater was not something that Shakespeare like invented out of whole cloth. He was just probably the one that we think of the most. So there's a lot of, when you Google this, like a lot of people make this comparison and ask this question, but yeah. he was a very important patron of Shakespeare. And apparently he did not like the show. <laughs> he was not a fan yeah. <laughs> of the play. Could have been the whole murdering the king part that Maybe he was so. not a yeah. fan of. Yeah, I mean, it clearly wasn't him, though. This is clearly a Scottish king, right, you know. Right. I mean, it's and there's witchcraft at work, you know. I mean, I would have uh, taken it as like a compliment. It's like, well, only the malevolent forces of Satan himself could bring me down, exactly. you know. There's another part here, too. You can find some, I think, kind of in the weeds, but fascinating inaccuracies in Macbeth that are I'm not going to say 100% proven, but like it really seems as though Shakespeare himself 
kind of airbrushed some stuff, took some creative license with some characters, especially if King James I was considered a descendant of the characters. This is not like the modern days where you can say, okay, Joe Biden didn't like our podcast. And so, dang, he went on stage and mentioned it in a mean way and kind of a rambling, unglued address to the nation. That would be great for our numbers, actually. Back then, if the king didn't like your play, he could arrest you. He could just have you killed. You know what I mean? So big stakes. What happens? Uh, you, You said James doesn't like the play. Jimmy is not happy camera. Not pleased. And apparently because of that, the show was not performed again for many, 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 many years. And it's hard to exactly pinpoint when the next performance was. But uh, there there's some sites that say that it, the next time it was performed was actually not in England, but was performed in Amsterdam and uh, in 1672. And that production also had some mishaps, uh, some some problems, where apparently the actor who was playing Macbeth was having an affair with the wife of the actor playing Duncan and then chose to actually bring a real dagger on stage and murder Duncan for real. What? During the, during the performance. Dude, this is so funny. Um, there's an episode of LA Law or maybe not LA Law, maybe Law and Order. Um, are you familiar with the long running New York interactive play um, Sleep No More? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. And it is loosely, you know, tied to Macbeth, the, the actual action that takes place when you're in this. I, I would only just, I could only maybe describe it as like a an interactive, psychedelic, haunted immersive, house. Immersive yeah. theater. Very cool. Yes. One of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life. But there is a, an episode. So, yeah, so you, you're walking around. You've got these masks on. You're in the same space as the players, and it's a 3D space. You're walking upstairs, and you kind of chase whoever interests you. You, you kind of follow them around and get distracted. And it's sort of like being on a video game or something. It's, it's fabulous. But it does end in, like, the banquet scene from Macbeth. Isn't that in Macbeth? Yeah, there's a banquet scene with, like, mm-hmm. there's also some King Lear elements. Point is, there's an episode of Law & Order. This play's been running that long, this this immersive thing, probably since the, the mm-hmm. 90s, where it's a thing like that, but it's not exactly that. But the, the twist is that someone actually kills the person for real in it. And then, the, you know, the Sam Watterson and his, his crew have to solve the crime. I just thought that was a funny connection. But, yeah, what an interesting... It's like it's been right used there. as a trope in other you know pop cultural kind of things. It was actually a thing in uh, Station Eleven, which had a play within a play. But mm-hmm. the idea of killing someone for real uh, in a play where no one's expecting that to happen, and the props can look a lot like real weapons, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the best way to go about murdering someone. I feel like maybe do it after the show when there's not an audience full of people, you know, witnesses. Of witnesses. Yeah, right. and then like. Where your understudies at? Again, it's a production question too. Ethics aside, the, but the, uh, the prop, this prop is, master, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a situation. This is weird to me because there's already uh, we're seeing a work of historical fiction is what we call it today, but we're seeing it interact with real world consequences, and there's a lot you can read into it if you are someone in the 1600s watching this and you see like i had to play oh god what's the guy's name banquo or some 
Banquo mm-hmm. I had to play. And yes. uh, they have lines where it's like, and oftentimes to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles, to betray in deepest consequence. Basically, they're saying, a good way to lie to people is to kind of tell them the truth. You know, centuries later, Emily Dickinson will say, tell the truth, but tell it slant and, and things like that. So I can see audience members already very sensitive to this play between fiction and fact. And the I, I bring this up because imagining seeing someone actually get fatally stabbed in front of, like, you would wonder whether it was on purpose. You might even, I would not be surprised if several people in the in the theater, several, like, maybe folks who weren't quite groundling level, weren't too close to the mm-hmm. stage, I'd be surprised if at least a few of them didn't turn to each other and say, man, that guy can act. That is commitment, you know? The special uh, effects in this production are incredible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. And this is just one strange and disturbing incident, right? Like you said, this is kind of dogged the Scottish business. It's my new favorite phrase now. The Scottish business for a while. Yeah, that that's that was the next horrible, you know, tragedy that that befell a production. You would think at some point theater companies would be like we're not doing this play anymore. People keep dying, but they keep going. So I think the next time that it was performed in possibly in London was was a company called the Dukes, the Dukes Men. You got to hit that liquid U when you say Duke, Absolutely. you know, it's a Duke, a Duke pukes. Uh, Duke doesn't puke. That's what they would say. I prefer uh, to even just like go all the way and just combine and call it the Dukesman. The Dukesman. You know? Yeah, the, the Dukesman. But please. So they were a company, they were licensed by Charles II to perform Macbeth at the time. And they were, they were this is early 1670s. It came to the big duel of Macbeth and Macduff. And there was an accident where the actor named Henry Harris accidentally ran his sword through the eye of the <sighs> actor playing Macbeth, killing Jesus. him. Jesus. Which, can you imagine being in the audience for that? <laughs> yeah, no. Can you imagine show? being the guy? You know? <laughs> Either one of them. I, I would yeah. feel terrible. Uh, again, whether I've been run through the eye or run through someone uh, someone's eye by accident. A really quick housekeeping question. You say licensed by Charles II. Was the king at this point just the keeper of all intellectual property? Like, you had to get licensed or leave from the king to perform a play? Yeah, I'm imagining, you know, like, Kingsmen going around being like, Oi there, like, this is an unlicensed Shakespeare show. Break That's it right. up. No, That's you know, right. no, where's That's your, right. you know. Nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah. Literally. I can see that. Yeah, this, I, I agree with you guys. Like, the idea, okay, you can see someone appear to be stabbed in the torso on stage, and it can look very believable, right? So even then you could say, hey, maybe that was a prop or whatever. But eyeballs are a lot harder to pull off realistically, even in the modern days. So this was clearly a fatal accident. And, you know, I, I have to ask, do you think, and even if we're just speculating here, it's a good question. Do you think this macabre series of accidents and homicides would have made the play less popular for the public or would it have been more compelling? Like, would it have put more butts in seats? The idea that it was dangerous. Hmm. Sorry, so it's a big marketing scheme. 
I mean, infernal marketing scheme. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe they they cursed the play themselves, right? <laughs> you know, no, I I have to say, I mean, I have always found this to be one of the more interesting and grabby Shakespeare plays. I like witchy stuff. I think we all do. I like murder most foul, all that. I like. I think the Lady Macbeth character is interesting. I like madness, sure. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why it's sort of persevered. And it's also been adapted, I think, so many a good times. bit more for for screen than than in any other Shakespeare play that I can think of. Not to mention like the the very elaborate, like the, the Sleep No More thing has been running mm-hmm. for ages and various uh, adaptations of it. Because how you portray the witches is always interesting. Like I don't know if you guys have seen the. Uh, the new um, Cohen um, yeah. Shakespeare, yeah. but the woman who plays the witches, Nails Catherine it. Hunter, mm-hmm. freaking fantastic. Like contorting her body and literally playing like all three. And like, are they in her head? Are there three of them? You don't even know. Sometimes they're just a reflection and it's just so cool. It's very like uh, Bergman-esque, the whole production of that film. So I don't know. I mean, it's no Titus Andronicus, but it, it slaps. I just I love the I love the Titus. film adaptation. Oh, I love the film adaptation of that by Julie Taymor, who's oh, like I yeah. think one of her only films. She did a really kind of, uh, by my understanding, pretty bad Beatles movie called Across the Universe. She's also famous for like completely running that Spider-Man musical into the ground. Turn off the dark. That was her, uh, and also she's famous. In a positive way for The Lion King. She did all the production design for that. But Titus is a really cool uh, Shakespeare adaptation as well. There's, there's something about Titus where it's like every, on average, like every 27 lines, either a limb is hacked off or somebody yeah. dies. Oh, yeah. it's gnarly. The bloodiest of bloody plays. See, and they say the guy doesn't have range. I'm kidding. People don't say that about William Shakespeare. I guess, no, no. I think that those are both interesting points because I think maybe that's why Macbeth occupies this, like, uh, middle ground between his, like, lighter work and uh, more depressing work and, and stuff like Titus, which is just too much because it's got all of the the chops of Titus, literally. Maybe not quite as many chops, but it's got, like, a lot of the same drama and uh, grotesqueness, but it's a little more palatable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Shakespeare, Titus was, if I recall correctly, Shakespeare's first tragedy, tra- tragedy, histo- historians agree, yeah, like 1580-something, and uh, like the late 1580s. So so by the time he gets to Macbeth, he's got, he's, he's learned a little bit more, more about the art of, of subtlety. And he's like, Hey, maybe, maybe, uh, you can earn a uh, death or dismemberment, uh, as a slow burn. Right. Right. Maybe we don't cook the children into a pie and feed it to their mother. Sorry. Spoiler oh. alert. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I think, I think we've passed the statute of limitations <laughs> for spoilers on that on, one. On yeah. So people still keep making Macbeth and, um, I think we're going to get to an interesting question about just how cursed it may be. But to do that, we should probably walk through a few more incidents because it wasn't always actors stabbing each other, whether out of anger or whether out of accident, right? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. 
you name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Right. There was one in 1703 where a Category 2 hurricane <laughs> struck uh, England and uh, caused a, a ton of damage, millions of pounds worth of damage, and killed 1,500 seamen right as the play was opening. So that was one from the gods. Wow, know, that is 3,000 thumbs. Just to That's point right. that out. We got to go collect those. Yeah. So... So natural forces are conspiring against people saying the M word. Um, That's right. And then 
what what about when the play goes it's already gone international in Europe, mm-hmm. but what about when it crosses the pond? Because we know that the US, since its inception, also loved Shakespeare. Pretty much everybody mm-hmm. agreed this guy was thought of as the best author in the language of all time. He's the GOAT. That's right. Well, the the famous Astor Place riots, which I feel like could have its own episode because it's, we did it. You did it, yeah. yeah so we did go back one. to the Astor Place riots episode, and uh, pretty recently to that. actually. But that, uh, yeah. So that was two warring actors, uh, the great Edwin Forrest, and uh, and then uh, Charles McCready. Which I always think the other one's the British one because yep. Edwin Forrest sounds like such a British name, it and does. and Charles McCready sounds like a real <laughs> American name, but it's the opposite. <laughs> Mr. McCready. What's that from? Mr. McCready. Oh, I know what it is. I think it's, is it from Dark City? Is there a character named Mr. McCready? I think that Dark City is amazing. I love it. Such a good movie. <laughs> Such a good movie. But please, yeah, this one, uh, this one really escalates quickly and then <laughs> it gets unnecessarily violent, you know, for like a riot springing from a public performance of a freaking play. Yeah, it wasn't really so much about the play in at the Astor Place, right? It was just they, they so happened to be both performing Macbeth. But it was more about just like using this event as an excuse to start a riot, I feel like. Yeah. And again, that that episode walks through some of the context there, but there is a real death toll. People are dead, mm-hmm. many more wounded, many more have some sort of injury. It's it's not what you associate with a night at the theater unless you right. know about the curse of Macbeth. Did you talk at all about the the supposed hissing that they were doing to each other back and forth, McCready and I think so. Uh, and yeah, there was definitely some uh, real venom there. They were but going I mean, back, it, it, they were going to each other's productions and then when one of them would pause, oh, yeah. the other would be like, <laughs> They heckled <laughs> each <laughs> other. Yeah. <laughs> so great. But yeah, the, 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 there was a riot that ensued and, and police were dispersed and ended up firing into a crowd. And I believe around, you know, two dozen people or so were killed. Insane. Insane. And now we're, we're getting to like modern history even. So, so it's weird when we talk about McCready and Forrest because they are not immortalized on film. Right. So Mm -hmm. unless you saw their performances in real time, you would be reading reviews. So they maybe don't have the same staying power for a lot of people that actors do once photography and once uh, film go mainstream. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see that the curse of Macbeth continues to actors that you may know of today, folks. You may have seen their work. That's right. I mean, I would say Sir Laurence Olivier may be the most famous Shakespearean actor of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Olivier did a performance uh, or a production at the Old Vic in 1937, and he was preparing to play Macbeth for the first time. And uh, the director and I think the, the woman who was playing Lady Macduff were in a car accident on the way to the theater. Two days later, the dog belonging to the Old Vic's founder was run over by a car. So even dogs aren't safe from this curse. <sighs> Even the theatered pets. Cool. And then Olivia was apparently so distraught by all of this that he lost his voice and couldn't speak, and uh, that had to that caused the 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 opening to be postponed. And then uh, 
th- uh, three days after the show was opening, the director was re- replaced. It was just just wrought with with horrible things. A 25-pound stage weight apparently crashed down from the flies, barely missing Sir Laurence Olivier's head by inches. Now that's the stuff. That's yeah. the stuff of theater chaos right there. You know, sandbags, willy-nillis, Phantom of the Opera type stuff right there, exactly. my friend. And then also uh, the woman who was playing... I I believe Lady Macbeth died of a heart attack just before dress rehearsal. And then the next time the old Vic produced that show, the portrait of of the the actress uh, whose last name was Bayless that was hung in the theater, it fell from the wall on opening night. Jeez. And so in the the realm of the folklore we're exploring, then the logic of this curse would be that these disasters— don't occur for every production of the Scottish business. They occur when someone, anyone in the theater, whether actor, crew, or civilian, says Macbeth in in the room, right? In the building. It's apparently, it's okay to say it if you're performing the piece, if you're doing the okay. play, because obviously you have to say it a number of times. And if every time you said it, you had to go outside, spin around, spit, cuss, and knock on the door and ask for permission, <laughs> it would really slow down the rehearsal process. But I think the performance of the play in general is you're you're undertaking you're un, you know you're undergoing a, a, a cursed project, a cursed script. So the accompanying superstition is yeah is is remnants from all of these productions throughout history that have led to deaths and and accidents and horrible That's what things. I was going to ask. Like it doesn't necessarily mean it's only triggered by someone saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess what ha- what if what if it's in the, in the, so it's it's in the course of doing the play you're going to say the name. Um mm-hmm. so it's basically the the whole implication is that the play itself is cursed should never be performed and its name should not be spoken right. in in the hallowed halls of of the theater. Has there ever been an adaptation where they just say the M word every time they're going <laughs> to say Macbeth like they literally just say the M word, I would watch it. I would. We should do that one. The first <laughs> non-cursed uh, production of. Mac- but would they get confusing? Because you got Macduff, you got Lady Macbeth as mm-hmm. well. So they have to have different distinctions for each of those. Could uh, just be a different sound effect. You know, Macbeth is like a, and like Macduff is like a. That was too confusing. It should be different, more different than that. Maybe like a. That's too long. We could workshop this. I like the idea though. Yeah, I like if we did M word, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but then for like, a, let's go with your idea for, for notable sound effects, you know, like a is great. And then maybe a yowza. Uh, I just want to hear people say yowza instead of a name. Or a Wilhelm scream, you know, for Lady Macbeth. <laughs> that could be cool. Yeah, my my lord is <laughs> One uh, obnoxious. I would, I would go to that. <laughs> I would go to that. And the question would be: Is would if they did it and did it consistently? How long would it take for it to not be funny anymore, <laughs> and for you just to be like invested back in the drama of the play? I can tell you from experience. It would either be like instantly or never. Yeah, <laughs> right. I can tell you from experience. It's a it's a two hour twenty something minute production with a fifteen minute information uh, intermission. So maybe the best way to do it would be to slowly beat me here, Max. Slowly escalate shit until at the end, it's it's absurdist. You know what I mean? And you're just 
noticing people by the way that they're dressed and the sound effect. Like, it's cacophonous, you know? I would love that. Yeah, no, um, the sound design would need to evolve. I, I'm with you. That, yeah. Like, it would evolve with the rising action of the play. I like this idea. Let's do it. The first Ridiculous History theater production of McWhat. Oh, God, I, I have to sound design this. Mm. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah, Max. That's. Uh, oh. You also have to. You also have to play one of the characters. So, clear, wow. clear the schedule. How do you all do this to me? I love this spinoff idea though of ridiculous theater. Mm-hmm. That's, you're, you're, <laughs> yes. You know. Well, a lot my, of good stories uh, out there uh, in the in the yeah. theater world. And and last last thing, there could be a McDonald's tie-in, and one of the characters could just be like there could be McChicken, there could be you know McCafe, <laughs> it oh. could be. Yeah. A, I, I see opportunity guys. We've talked about this before, but like, you know, we can finally explore like what happened to Ronald McDonald. Yes, I've got and ooh, the moon guy. I did the research. I've got this one for next for a future episode. I want to try something. Out. Will, do you know what Grimace is? Yeah, of course. Oh, like like oh, what he what he <laughs> what species? Yeah. <laughs> what is he an anthropomorphic um, version of? Oh, um, oof. I don't know. A hippo came to mind for some reason. That's that I would have right. said. I would have said uvula, perhaps, or <laughs> um, you know, some like a, a misshapen grape. But uh, I'm yeah, colorblind. Max. I thought he was a sauce blob. There you go. <laughs> oh, he could, but now he's purple. He's purple as hell. Max, blow our minds. Know. Yeah, he is a taste bud. <gasps> what? Hit the sound cue. gross it's just gross what? they had so many other things they went past before they got the sound but i mean taste but they could have said like so someone pitched tongue and someone else said no yeah. no it's too much too general too sensual we gotta go more specific yeah they probably called him taste buddy at first that's right there why call he's him also Grimace? huge he's yeah. like the biggest of the, all of them he's massive well I think that we are helping McDonald's here. We're presenting some clear <laughs> business opportunities. The M word is going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. Look for it at a theater near you. But give us some time. Give us some time in the writer's room. Before we wrap up, though, i got to get to the present day. I mean, there's some really yes. good ones leading up to a massive pop cultural phenomenon that happened not three months ago. That's right. That was the reason why it was on my mind. But just to to fly through some of the, the the more recent ones, I love the one about Charlton Heston, who his his tights were soaked in kerosene and his tights caught on fire during the performance, and like he had burns all over his groin and, and legs, which is damn yeah, dirty tights. <laughs> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Great. What is that? That's a, yeah, that's a good point. Odd casting choice. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, talk about a scenery chewer and a very specific delivery, you know? Mm. And then we also had Alec Baldwin in a production in 1998 who he sliced open the hand of the actor playing Macduff. And didn't shoot him in the face. I was going to say, it's a sad, uh, you know, it's a sad sad series that we're seeing from Alec Baldwin. I don't mean to make light. It is a terrible thing, but it's like, God, yeah. I made a joke about sailor thumbs. I mean, what's the statute of limitations? (laughs) There's also, there's also, um, this is, this was interesting. I don't know a lot uh, about modern celebrities uh, because I 
different philosophical ideological reasons, but I was really interested that you pointed out in some of the research, Will, that this came up during the, uh, what was it, the Academy Awards? That's right. I, I was watching the Oscars, which was going fine and just a normal Oscars. And then, you know, it's, uh, something happened. And what I noticed was that Chris Rock was on stage and he said, quote, Denzel Macbeth loved it. And then right after he said that, I was like, ooh, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. You're in a theater, Chris. Ooh, that's <laughs> bad luck. Shouldn't have the said it. The internet went a little nuts, too. Right. Well, all the theater nerds took to Twitter and were like, mm. oh. <laughs> and then moments later, Will Smith was possessed by the ghost of a witch and slapped Chris Rock in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Unprecedented. And then oh, later won Lord. some won, won a quite prestigious award. Uh, I don't know if you want to say prestigious or prestigious. I just feel like prestigious <laughs> sounds fancier, unnecessary. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like the, it's like the thespian thespian question. Right. Dukes. When the dukes the duke, are dueling. The duke pukes. Uh, <laughs> yes. If you're talking about the mayonnaise, it's definitely dukes. The mayonnaise oh, yeah. is dukes. English royalty gentry, landed gentry are dukes. That's right. Yeah, if anybody was like, would you like some dukes on your sandwich, your ham sandwich with some dukes? Absolutely like, not. you're a spy. Face. <laughs> He's a spy. Lock him here, up. City slicker. I found him. <laughs> Who are you working for? So there was another one, and and I think it's I think it's a neat bookend that this is the one we're wrapping up with because as you as you foreshadowed just a second ago, Will, there is a reason, a very specific recent reason that Macbeth was on your mind. So perhaps we were incorrect when we thought this guy's just had this locked and loaded for years. You know, what brought this story to the forefront of your mind when uh, we asked about cool stories from history? I mean, it was it was mainly the Chris Rock situation that it was still rattling around in my head. But then also Daniel Craig is doing a production on Broadway. And I mean, I feel like this is going to be more common and not just productions of Macbeth, but they had to cancel uh, some preview performances because multiple people tested positive for COVID-19, which is the new curse of of theater and live events. Glad we had a golden little moment where everything felt kind of normal again. And now it's like, God, everyone's getting that all over again. We but just thankfully, it seems our, like the cases are mild. Office party, our goodbye office party because of because of COVID. It's it's hitting everybody equally. Um, but also and obviously because of Macbeth. Right. And yes. obviously because someone said Macbeth in the studio years ago. <laughs> uh, I blame Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Quister. But we do want to, uh, lest we do a disservice for the very skeptical people in the crowd, we do have to point out methodology here. There have been many, many productions of the Scottish business over the centuries, and you're not near as likely to hear about the ones where things went off without a hitch. Will and Noel and Max and I are well aware of this, but it's happened often enough that people really do believe this superstition. They really do believe that just maybe that that curse from like the 1600s is still around today, right? I got one question, Ben. The production that you were in, did anything wonky happen or did anybody get hurt? Emotionally. Oh, yeah, bloodbath. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, that's a great question, Will. So we had, we did have a couple of people who dropped out. We had one person who could no longer be in the production because they got arrested. 
unrelated, I think, to the play. But if for people who really believe in this, um, this curse or this superstition, then maybe that would be something they could point to. I'll just tell you, it's uh, it's still, I have massive respect for Shakespearean actors. I wouldn't consider myself one of those. Uh, I have massive respect for anybody involved with, with staging a production of Shakespeare because those things are intense. They are long and you really have to work to make sure that it's, it's relatable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I've never done a production of Macbeth. I would love to, hopefully it goes well. I have been injured once, though, during a Shakespeare play. It was a Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was stabbed in the throat with. Jesus! <laughs> I was my, the back of my throat was punctured with a fake flower that had a, a point, like a metal piece yeah, of for wiring. twisties for doing right. the twisties. Yeah, so a well, fake flower came great. off. Thanks, thanks, but it was literally in the middle of the first fairy puck scene, and I I always put this flower in my mouth, and for some reason, one of the buds had fallen off, and a the wire stabbed me and punctured the back of my throat and I had to continue doing the play and I had a mouthful of blood and I was just, holy cow just, a mouthful of blood is the name right. of something that's a song or <laughs> yeah it is or punk uh, band if or, it doesn't no I think it exists oh, it does exist no you're right you're right it's like smiling through a mouthful of blood uh, or la- laughing with a mouthful. I can't remember. It's some goth thing. But I have a theory, not a theory, it's just a theory that refers back to the version of Macbeth that I have the most fond memories of, which is the Sleep No More thing I talked about. There is no dialogue in this version of Macbeth mm-hmm. at all. Uh, it's just pantomime and like, you know, act, you know, dance and stuff. And um, it's all, you know, the action. You're aware of it from being familiar with the play, but they don't speak. So no wonder it had such a long and uh, illustrious run. And they shut it down um, for COVID, but it is back. Uh, the company is called Punch Drunk, I think, that does it. And they mm. do some other kind of immersive theater things. And I just can't uh, speak highly enough of it. If you're in New York and it's a little pricey, but absolutely worth your time. It's like the coolest, most artsy haunted house that you'll ever set foot in. It's f- four and a half it. hour experience and the time just zips by. It's well worth it. Yeah. I, I have a I have a question for you, Will. Uh, this is just, is probably going to be on the mind of a lot of our fellow listeners today. Mm-hmm. Does the Macbeth curse apply specifically to the, uh, to the show Macbeth or is it just verboten to say the M word for any product? Like have people died during West Side Story because uh-huh. someone with an ax to grind ran in and was like, Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. And then ran back right. out. So I think if, yeah, if you get more granular with it, I'm sure every thespian out there has some story to share about somebody saying it in a theater and then something going horribly awry. Um, mm. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it does echo out and it, it reverberates out into any production, anything happening in a theater. If you are to utter the name of that, play that character and not cleanse yourself you are opening yourselves up to the curse or actors are just clumsy and uncoordinated okay yeah yes <laughs> and uh, which uh which remains the truest of the uh of the two possibilities we leave that to you uh, i think i don't know about you guys but i've got to go run outside real quick spin around three times <laughs> curse loudly and and spit at some stuff uh just to make sure the weekend goes as planned uh 
in the meantime, what an amazing story, Will. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about where people can find your work and uh, maybe a little bit about what we meant when we said award-winning playwright, director, <laughs> yeah. and actor? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. Um, but yeah, you can listen to my podcast, Hashtag Storytime, wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely check out the season because, as we mentioned at the top, Ben's on it, Noel's on it, Annie Reese, Lauren Vogelbaum, Mike Johns, a lot of great stories on there. And then, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge theater lover, and I, I live in L.A., and I'm, I'm always trying to involve myself in, in different productions out here, whether they want me or not. But I recently, <laughs> um, I, re I recently participated in a short uh, play festival called the Brisk Festival. And uh, I wrote and directed a short play called The Mating Ritual of Snails. And it won uh, Best Play and I won Best Director. So I, oh, you know. that's awesome. Is it just a bunch of snails just kind of grinding <laughs> against each other in slow motion, like in Microcosmos? More, more or less. It's top music? It's, it's, two, it's two, about two snails uh, meeting and going through their very interesting, unique mating process. Do you know what I'm referring to? No, the, the the film Microcosm. It's like a French nature documentary thing. It's the same people that did Wing Migration. So it was like a very early kind of high art kind of nature documentary. And there's one sequence where it's just these two snails just grinding their torsos against each other. It looks like a thing that you can probably picture. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, opera, gorgeous opera aria playing in the background. And it's the most hilarious and erotic uh, thing <laughs> that I've ever seen. And it's a kid's movie. You've probably seen the cover of it. They didn't market it very well. Back when blockbusters were the thing, it's like a, a grasshopper wearing sunglasses on the cover, and it's called Microcosmos. So it's actually a artsy kind of French um, super, uh, what's the word? Yeah, micro kind of like nature documentary about bugs and snails and things. I, I'm going to get into that this weekend. But yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, snails, they do. They make love for 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where Sting picked it up, I heard. Yeah, there's sort but, of the uh, sting of the animal. For me. Yes, but uh, <laughs> hilarious and erotic. I had a few exes who described me that way. Uh, <laughs> what, better, what better way to end things? Uh, yeah, Will, thank you so much. Do check out Storytime, uh, not just the episodes Dole and I are on, though, uh, though we hope you enjoy those as well, of course. Thanks, as always, to our own, kind of our, our own Kenneth Branagh the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Max, thanks for classing up the show. Quick kiss to the sky from Max. Thanks also to Alex Williams, who composed this amazing soundtrack, playing us out. Noel, thank you mm -hmm. to you. I once again, I haven't said this on air, man, but I'm still trying to convince you to take an improv class with me. I think we would have so much fun. Oh, dude, after this next COVID wave, I'm super down. All uh, right, yeah. It's something that always terrified me uh, in a previous life, but now I'm like, you know what, why not? You only live once unless you I'll get fly stabbed out. through the eye during improv. <laughs> that could happen. Someone could point wildly, you know, and accidentally go too far and just jam you right in the eyeball or the throat. Lots of dangerous things can happen in the theater. But you know what? It's all for love of, uh, of the craft. I'll fly out for this uh, improv class. Hey, guys. all right. Let's do it. It's settled. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. 